James 5. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, because the coming of the Lord is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we counted as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, Let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This book was written by the half-brother of Jesus, which is incredible given that his brothers used to mock him. This book shows what a massive change of heart James went through because it opens with the author calling himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, from mocking him to serving him. But, spoiler alert, this book probably isn't actually by James. Huh? Some say that King James of King James Version fame wanted to see his own name in the Bible, so he had the translators mistranslate the author's name. The real names of this James and every other James in the Bible is Jacobus, or Jacob in English, so we'll call him Jacob because King James isn't the boss of us. This letter is written to the church outside of Israel, and that's important. It's written to believers. If we take it out of that context, this book sounds like there are things we have to do in order to earn God's approval, instead of them being things that serve as markers of knowing Him. Over the centuries, this book has caused quite a stir because it seems to be advocating salvation by works, which is contrary to everything else in Scripture. But if we remember the rules of Bible interpretation, the first of which is that Scripture is the lens we use for interpreting Scripture, and if we remember the author's original audience and context, That helps us understand this book rightly. This letter gives us examples of how to live out wholeness in the wisdom of God, 
and it connects us again to prioritizing the things of God in our lives. If we do, we'll handle our wealth in a way that honors God. We'll handle our suffering in a way that honors God. And we'll even handle our sins in a way that honors God. All this flows out of the Father's work in our lives to conform us to the image of the Son by the power of the Spirit. No one leaves this book feeling like they're nailing it. It points out our blind spots and our weak spots, but it also reminds us to take our eyes off ourselves and put them back on Him, because that's where grace and mercy abound. And that's how today's reading ended. The final paragraphs of this letter say, Hey, you're a sinner. Don't try to hide it. Throw some light on it and ask for help. Tell other people where you struggle. They are strugglers and sinners too. Together, you can ask God to help you because He will. You're not alone in this. He even points to Elijah, a human just like us, as an example of what's possible when sinners seek God. The God of the universe adores you and is at work in you. I love that this rich, dense, challenging book ends by reminding us that God loves to draw near to people who know they're sinners. So come on, sinners, let's draw near. He's where the joy is. I'm Tara Lee Cobble, and you're listening to the He's Where the Joy Is podcast presented by LifeWave.